Governor J.B. Pritzker is pledging to expand abortion access to people in prison. The move comes as Democrats go all in on abortion rights ahead of Election Day. Progressive candidates in races across the country have spent heavily on abortion ads. And President Joe Biden has promised to codify Roe if Democrats win the House and Senate on Tuesday. But is that push enough to keep the issue at the forefront of voters' minds as they cast their ballots? Here with us now, we have the Deputy Director of the Chicago Abortion Fund, Katsia Sharif. Hi, Katsia. Hi, Sasha. Thanks for having me. And we have Northwestern bioethicist Katie Watson. She's the author of the book Scarlet A, The Ethics, Law, and Politics of Ordinary Abortion. Welcome back to Reset, Katie. Hi, Sasha Ann. Happy to be here. Good see. I'll start with you. As I mentioned, the governor pledged to make abortion more accessible for folks who are incarcerated. Uh, people can read this reporting by WBEZ's Sam Dyer at WBEZ.org. What do you think of this, Katsia? I I think that this is a move in the right direction and a reflection of our leaders and legislators um, trying to stand on the right side of justice in terms of abortion access and reproductive justice. I really hope to see other states and um, our state continue to implement types of support for people that help minimize the impact and minimize the control that the criminal legal system has on people's health care, their bodies, and their health care out- outcomes. Mm-hmm. What about you, Katie? Your thoughts on this move by the Pritzker administration? Well, I think it's an example of what we have uh, and what we get when we have state officials and local officials who understand the significance of abortion care in people's reproductive lives. So the idea that prisoners would have to pay the wages of officers transporting them to an abortion was so shameful. Imagine charging pregnant women um, to go to the hospital to deliver a baby when they're in prison. Yeah. Um, so the idea, this is the structural enactment of abortion stigma. The idea you're doing a shameful thing, so you, the government gets to penalize you. So I was shocked to realize that was happening in Illinois and happy that we have elected officials that when it's brought to light, um, pledge to undo that sort of um, stigma and penalty and to take the stance of government neutrality that is promised by the Reproductive Health Act, that the government will stay out of your private health care decisions in Illinois. And, and Katsia, I'll, I'll be honest, I hadn't thought that much about whether abortion was available to, to people in prison. And in doing more research and in reading this story, you know, it turns out most states do not allow abortion to incarcerated folks. What do you make of that? I think it's, I mean, it's definitely unfortunate, frustrating, but not surprising considering the ways that um, abortion is stigmatized and siloed. Um, I think that it's a symptom of, again, this criminal legal system that does not value people, value people, their, their bodies or their bodily autonomy. And I really hope that this is a move, again, in the right direction in terms of looking closely at our criminal legal system and the ways that it reflects um, our our values and who has uh, has access to what people that are incarcerated deserve access to a full range of reproductive health care and the fact that abortion in many states and in Illinois in the past has been siloed as something that incarcerated people are not able to access is a real reflection of the ways that white supremacy and these values that again do not um, do not do not see individual persons, individual people's worth 
Um, so, so yeah, I think again, it's it's not surprising, but so so um, disheartening. Um, and really hope again that other states are looking at this move um, and puts his stance as an example and hoping to follow in those footsteps. Yeah, let's stick with that just a bit here, Katie. Stigma is a topic that we have covered in, in different aspects on the show. How do you see the stigma of abortion influencing politics right now? Well, it's interesting. I think that this, there is a stigma around abortion. The idea, people have this idea that it's unusual or something, you know, um, that you shouldn't speak about. One in four American women will have an abortion by menopause if current statistics hold. And these statistics are the lowest they've been since Roe versus Wade. The numbers used to be higher. And it's just a dangerous loop that stigma leads to silence. Silence leads to stigma, right? Because you can pretend this is a, a deviant activity. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the only, I, I hate to say there's any silver lining to Dobbs, but the reaction to it has led to many more open conversations about both personal stories about abortion and people being more open about their political view about freedom. Um, people who might have avoided a conversation that they feared would lead to conflict, feeling like, I can't sit on the couch and be quiet anymore. I have to say when the topic comes up at a dinner party, say, mm-hmm. well, regardless of what you may think, I think the government shouldn't be able to hold women's bodies hostage um, and force them to have babies they don't want. If that's a radical stance, I say get radical. Um, because I think um, the idea that the states that are banning abortion can um, hold women's bodies hostage, I mean, that's really what they're doing, and force childbearing yeah. should be anathema in a country that is supposedly premised on pluralism and a separation of church and state. And that's separate. The legal stance is separate from one's ethical stance on abortion. There's many ethical arguments in favor of abortion care, and there's some against it. And that's fine. That's a different kind of private decision making. But right now in this post-Dobbs moment, we're very focused on government's role in private decision making. So I won't say that the reversal of Roe has decreased abortion stigma. In the states where it's banned, it's probably increased it you know, incalculably. But I think in other areas, I'm seeing conversations about abortion in spaces that never wanted to talk about it before. Yes. And some of them are really productive and robust and honest um, and health conversations. A lot of conversations keeping this you know, front and center, especially ever since June when, when Roe versus Wade fell. Um, could see, like we said, you know, Illinois has been a leader when it comes to abortion rights. Any additional policies, though, that you want to see the state strengthen uh, to just make uh, abortion rights even that that much more prevalent? Yes. I mean, I think that we are the state and our leaders can continue to invest in making sure that abortion is accessible for all. So continuing to improve um, insurance coverage for abortion care in our state and also, um, I think the bottom line is that the state shouldn't, we shouldn't have to negotiate our bodily autonomy with the state. So continuing to push for a policy and culture shift that understands that and centers the idea that we are experts on our own bodies and whatever the decision is that folks should be supported and held in their decision and resourced so that they can, um, whether they choose to um, parent or not parent, that they're able to do so in a supported environment. 
you know, it's an entirely different story in neighboring states like Indiana and Wisconsin, Missouri, Kentucky. You're with the Chicago Abortion Fund, but I'm just imagining that you have probably been in contact with a lot more people from out of state since June. Yes. Since, I mean, even before June, the majority of people that were reaching out to Chicago Abortion Fund for support were from outside of the state of Illinois. And since the Dobbs decision, we've seen significant increase in people calling us from over 40 states to U.S. territories and also other countries needing to travel to the U.S. for abortion care. Our, our monthly budget has increased almost double, and we've implemented block grants with partner clinics um, across the country to make sure that folks are able to get the care they need when works for them and that clinics aren't forced to um, to make discounts or even turn people away because of lack of funding. Um, we're really dedicated to, to digging in and supporting our community, including our neighbors. We've got partnerships with Hoosier Abortion Fund in Indiana to make sure that Indianans, whether they're being seen in their home state in Indiana, traveling to Illinois, Mm -hmm. are supported in getting the the funding for their care and also wraparound support, logistical travel support, since so much of that also creates barriers for people, um, especially if there's lack of funding to be able to meet those needs. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we're discussing abortion rights in Illinois. Governor Pritzker recently announced his administration would make it easier for people in prison to to access abortion. And it's another step toward abortion rights at a time when surrounding states are moving in the opposite direction. It comes just days before the consequential midterm election where abortion is a top issue for some voters. Our guests today are Kudsia Sharif of the Chicago Abortion Fund and Northwestern bioethicist Katie Watson, who's also author of the book Scarlet A, The Ethics, Law, and Politics of Ordinary Abortion. Back to you, Katie. I do want to talk a bit more about this upcoming midterm election. Abortion rights, you know, it seems to have slipped behind inflation and the economy in the minds of of many voters. But the results of Tuesday's election, it really could have serious ramifications for abortion rights. So what is on your mind as we approach uh, November 8th? The election I'm watching most closely is one that's not always put front and center, and that's the Illinois Supreme Court elections. Um, Currently, there's a 4-3 Democratic majority on that seven-member court. And in the second and third districts, um, there are races where um, the I hate to associate parties with abortion positions because there's no reason. There there are certainly pro-choice Republicans. But in these races, it happens to be that the Democratic candidates for judges in the second and third district have been endorsed by the um, abortion access advocacy groups. And the Republicans running, at least one of them, had a very clear anti-choice um, position and was rated as um, not recommended by the bar associations. And if one of those Um, anti-choice candidates or potential anti-choice candidates wins, it could tip the balance on the Illinois Supreme Court. So we have the legislative branch and we cannot take our status as what I call a standard of care state. We're just doing ordinary medicine in Illinois. It shouldn't be so amazing Mm -hmm. or need special legal protection, but we do at this moment. Um, We're one election away always from losing a, a governor or a legislature that supports uh, women's personhood and people with uteruses' ability to make their own private decisions. But even when you have that, 
the Supreme Court reviews those um, statutes when they're challenged by anti-choice groups or crisis pregnancy centers who are always attacking them. And so if the second and third districts lose those Supreme Court seats, Mm. um, we could see a different landscape. Nationally, I just would love to say a sentence about the ballot initiative. My eye is on the Michigan ballot initiative. You mentioned abortion slipping behind other issues. Ballot initiatives really allow people to be single-issue voters. So, for example, in Michigan, voters get to say, do I want to amend our state constitution to have explicit protection for abortion rights? Yes or no. And then they get to vote on their candidates up and down their slate, whatever party affiliation they have, whatever other issues are on their mind. I think that's really interesting. And we saw in Kansas voters voting to keep their um, state Supreme Court decision saying the Kansas Constitution protected abortion rights yeah. specifically. And, you know, we didn't necessarily expect that from Kansas voters. So I, that goes with what I was saying about people's pro-choice sentiments. Again, just yeah. letting the government stay out, coming out in the polls. And to that end, Katsia, you know, a lot of other issues vying for voters' attention next week, not just the economy, also crime, the environment, democracy itself. Do you worry that abortion rights is just ticking further down the list of concerns here for voters? I think that it's important that we understand abortion rights and reproductive justice as intersectional and related to all these other things, to voting rights, to housing rights, to environmental justice. And I think that um, it is important that we continue to talk about abortion as um, a, a family issue as something that impacts every single one of us and um, through busting stigma, talking about it more and also understanding, you know, I know there's the treatment but trauma um, on the ballot in some places in Chicago, understanding how um, mental health and supporting folks um, in navigating a police state is really um directly connected to our abilities to make decisions about our bodies, our futures, and our family. Katie, traditionally, the issue of abortion is it's viewed through the binary lens of you're either for it or you're against it, right? And we see that type of thinking show up all the time in our politics. How can we all just have a more nuanced view of abortion rights? the one we should be asking ourselves. Um, The first question is about the legality. Do you think the government should control reproductive decision-making, or do you think pregnant people themselves with their families, their partners, their clergy members, whoever they choose to involve in their decisions should be the ones doing that? That's question one. And that may or may not have anything to do with how you feel about the ethics of abortion itself. The second question is, how do you feel about abortion for yourself or for your loved ones Mm -hmm. or, you know, a a pregnancy you helped to create? That's a very different kind of question. And then how do you feel about it for your friends and neighbors who are in your close-knit community? We're all allowed to have our own personal opinions, and we're all allowed to decide who do we invite to our houses for dinner, who do we befriend, who do we marry? And people look for communities who share values often. And so we have such a, um, a such a range of spaces for different kinds of conversations. My focus in the legal sphere is about protecting pluralism, 
But within the private sphere, um, you know, as a clinical ethicist, my job is to support a wide range of patient decision-making. So when there's a patient who says, yeah, the doctors tell me this pregnancy may threaten my life, but I wouldn't be who I was. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I ended it. Mm-hmm. Okay. We give them all the medical support they could possibly need, and we're rooting for them every step of the way. That's not because we're against or for abortion. It's because we're for self-determination. And I think that is the the nuance that gets lost in some of these I'm for or against abortion. I always have so many questions for yeah. folks, and I'm so curious about the incredible range of answers I get when we start with the binary and then we unpack. Um, well, what does that mean to you? For whose pregnancy? What what reasons? What um, yeah. what time for you personally? And do you get to impose that on your neighbors? Why would that be? It's just the power of choice, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Katie Watson of Northwestern University and Katsia Sharif of the Chicago Abortion Fund. Thank you both.